Hey friend, have you checked out the new and improved version of the SiriusXM free dealer app for pre-owned vehicles yet? The app's designed to help you refresh more radios on the lot by turning the radio on and scanning the VIN. Once scanned, you can demo SiriusXM during test drives, and even better, your customers can drive home listening to the best entertainment. All you have to do is download the free SiriusXM dealer app today from the App Store or Google Play. In this episode, you'll hear yet another on-location conversation, this time in Montreal, Canada. I had the privilege of attending and hosting Kijiji Auto's Dealer Talk X, where I got to meet and then interview Doug Lip. If you're not familiar yet with Doug, you're missing out, man. He's the former head of training for Disney University and the best-selling author of Disney U. In addition, he's a global consultant for some of the biggest brands around the world. Now, if you remember, I mentioned him in a previous episode of the podcast, but today you'll get to hear directly from Doug himself. But before we dive in, make sure you're subscribed to the Dealer Playbook wherever you're listening to this right now. And if we're not connected on Facebook and Instagram, come on, dude, let's do this. Let's commit. Now, on to my conversation with Doug Lip. Here we go. Here we are. We're sitting in the President's Lounge at the Montreal uh, Science Center. And our view looks like something you would see on a demoed TV at Best Buy because it's absolutely gorgeous. We're staring at old Montreal. I'm sitting down with my new friend, Doug Lip. Doug, thanks so much for joining me on the Dealer Playbook podcast. Michael, it's my my pleasure. And I'm sitting here listening to your intro. I've never heard one quite as uh, descriptive as that. So kudos. <laughs> well, I, I've realized now 145 <laughs> or six episodes in that they can't see what I'm looking at. <laughs> it looks like a green screen to me. Maybe they did the trees afterwards. I'm it not does sure. a little bit. It looks like a green screen. And this is the somewhat naive, ignorant Canadian because I've never been to Montreal. I've never been to Quebec until now. I had no idea that this is what it was like. I mean, on one side of my hotel was super modern and gorgeous. And then on the other side, I'm in Europe. Well, as a California native, let me explain to you how Montreal works, if you don't mind. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So something that I think has been extremely fascinating. First of all, um, I had the pleasure of hearing you in Calgary first. And then in Toronto, I heard your message, and I'm looking forward to hearing it again a bit later today. Something that I believe so deeply in, you explain in your presentation as, uh, I guess, Disney's four keys, uh, a foundation that they found to success. I mean, and uh, no better person to speak on these than you, the former head of training for Disney University. What, first of all, what are those four keys? And, and I guess a quick follow up to that is when did they realize that this was the recipe for success? That's an interesting question, Michael. Yeah. First of all, the, the four keys, um, were, were initiated about seven years into Disneyland's life. Disneyland started in 55, and uh, the founder of the Disney University was one of my mentors, a guy named Van France. And seven years into running Disney, he realized the employees needed a bit more consistency in their training. Given the increase in 
guest count, the increase in employee called cast members, the employee count was, was rising rapidly. And he knew that there needed to be more consistency in the application of training curriculum. So he and a guy named Dick Nunes, who he had hired and ultimately Dick became the, the president, the chairman of outdoor recreation. They came up with the four keys that you referenced a few moments ago, and they go in, in order of safety and then courtesy and then show. And then originally it was capacity, and that has evolved into efficiency. So safety, courtesy, show, efficiency is what every cast member, current or former, has ingrained in their head as how do we create the happiest place on earth. And that's really the the essence of how Disney, over the six-plus decades it's been in existence at, in Anaheim, California, and 12 theme parks around the world has transcended linguistic differences, cultural differences, generational differences, geographical differences with the four simple keys to success of how do we create the happiest place on earth. And that's really what I work with a lot of companies on is they get caught up in their taglines and their why do we exist and all the fancy marketing stuff, yet they fail to create the essential stepping stones on how do we do that. Which brings me to the how do we do that? Because I think a lot of businesses look at something like that and they go, oh, this seems so intangible. That sounds like it's going to cost a lot of money. So if if you're an organization that knows something needs to change, you've been chasing the numbers for so long, you're looking at reg your regional competitive data and you're seeing that maybe you're falling behind or you're leading the pack and boy, we don't have to do anything about this then. Where does an organization or a leader start with implementing this same type of uh, foundation for success? Sure. Well, I always like to go to the, uh, the people that matter the most, and that's my employees and my customers. All too often, you get these task forces that sit in locked rooms and try to figure out what they're going to do, and they don't really listen to the customer or the employee. So I would start with the end in mind and ask the people that, that bring that brand to life, which is your employees, likewise those who purchase your product or your service, your customers. And how could you as a leadership team simplify the life of the employees so they in turn could simplify the life of the customers? Because frankly, we're all selling comparable things. We're all in the commodity business. And one of the ways that I see with my clients worldwide, large and small organizations, those who step away from the pack are the ones that get that laser focus on how do we simplify the experience for our employees, despite the complexity of what we provide, so that they in turn can simplify the experience of our patients, our customers, our guests, whoever you identify that pays the bills. It reminds me of, and oh shoot, I wish I had it in front of me. Was it Einstein that said you need to be able to explain it to a six-year-old? <laughs> like it's it's too difficult if a six-year-old couldn't understand it or something along those lines. Right, right. And I think, you know, I, I agree totally with what you're saying. I think sometimes we might make this, the, the customer experience or the cast member or employee right. experience too difficult right. because we add in all these layers of mm. HR and mm. stipulations and salaries and, and all these sorts of things. Right. But we also look at this, this 
I, I guess the narrative of what we're talking about, we typically look at from the leadership angle. Mm-hmm. What responsibilities does a cast member or an employee have to get the most out of, I guess, their experience and also servicing the customer? Well, it's an interesting question. I think that that probably starts in the interview phase is that a potential employee or potential cast member needs to understand what they're getting involved in. And the best organizations are those that make very clear at the outset of the interview process what we expect of you and elicit what you expect from us. Because all too often I see organizations that run a very quick cursory check on somebody, have a quick interview, make sure they've got a heartbeat, you've got a pulse, boom, you're hired. As opposed to, is there an organizational or a cultural fit? So one of the, one of the mantras that I use with my clients is go slow to go fast. And it's very similar. I'm going to go back to the four keys you mentioned earlier, safety, courtesy, show efficiency. Efficiency or capacity is where you make the money. Safety, courtesy, and show is setting up the culture and making sure that you've got a really watertight hull in this ship. And those organizations and those owners and those leaders that have a short-sighted, quick profit mentality will not survive in that game. And I would suggest that if you have the long term and you build the relationship first, whether it's with the client or like we're saying with the potential employees during the interview process, you will over time see exponential increases in the connectivity between you and those employees you talked about. They'll know why they hired on with you. And then they in turn will have that connectivity with your clients and your customers. One of the things that I think is so fascinating, especially this day and age when I think the brunt of the the dialogue we have is about digital and technology right. and oh right. look how quickly technology is evolving right. and especially as it pertains to the car industry sure. I, I joke about the impending doom of the self-driving car <laughs> you come from experience in an organization where they were always at kind of the forefront of technology yeah but still found that their success lied in people right um for those listening if I have not had a culture becoming of this message that we're talking about, Mm. how do I make the shift? How do I, can I avoid that awkwardness of being the leader and being like, guys, I guess I screwed up (laughs) or how how do you approach that in an organization? I mean, now as a, a global business consultant, having the experience you've had with so many fortune 500s Mm -hmm. and things of that nature, where I think we could agree. Some of those might feel like, turning the Titanic around in a bathtub. Right. Right. What, how do you make that shift? Cause I think we're seeing that in the automotive space as well. How do we shift the, the air that's every that everyone's breathing inside of an organization so that we right. can start to move forward? Well, perhaps through an example, Michael, I was working with a huge healthcare organization in the United States and, and for your listeners, uh, several years ago, we had a huge change in our laws in the country and it, it made life more difficult for healthcare providers to interpret what do we do, what can't we do, and how do we get there. And certainly we all have to deal with, with government regulations. And, and what I'm getting at is the, the president of this huge healthcare organization in a brilliant stroke said, I want to have a full day retreat for my employees 
during which they simply come up with their own personal goal for how they will become more resilient. What are their weak points? What are their strong points? Recognize that because if they focus on themselves, I know they'll be more uh, able to deal with the onslaught of questions for the insured who are calling us with questions that probably we don't even have the answers to. So then I posed the question to him. I said, great, you're going to kick off this whole day and you're going to ask all of your employees to come up with their own personal goal. I said, what is your personal goal? He said, I I don't have one. And I said, well, then you shouldn't do this because if you can't lead by example, why should your employees do that? And that's what all too often happens with leaders is they let their ego get in the way. They don't show their human side and admit their own mistakes. And I wasn't asking him to get up and say disparaging things about himself, but I said, you need to think about where you're going to take this for your own development. Anyway, long story short, after some coaching, he got up in front of his 400 employees and gave them the the exercise and he said, but before you do that, let me share with you my own personal goal. I need to become a better listener. And he admitted in front of 400 people, I know that I ask questions and I give you maybe a half a second to respond and then I interrupt you. And so most of you have learned not to talk. You just wait for me to finish your sentence and that's the culture that I've created. So I have a few people on my leadership team who are now going to be sitting in meetings with me. And when I do interrupt, they're going to give me a nonverbal signal, such as pulling on their own earlobe, that I have broken the contract. And I looked around the room and all of the employees were slack-jawed because they all knew that he was a lousy listener. And here it comes from him that he is going to work on it. You can only imagine, Michael, the the energy and vigor with which everyone worked on their own personal goals after that revelation on that leader's part. Servant leadership. Exactly. Willing to put themselves out there first. Yeah. And, and I mean, you touched on it, ego. Mm. And I always tread, I, I walk on eggshells when I get into the ego conversation because I'm like, oh, I don't want to, you know, what, what are people thinking? Because t- typically this is a very ego driven sure. industry. Okay, that's fine. You have, um, you have a breadth of experience in other verticals. And so y- y- we were chatting earlier and you said, well, that's not all too uncommon from most industries. Right, right. So I-, I love this because it shows how, well, I guess the macro is it's very, very easy. Hey, let's call a group meeting and I'm going to explain to you something. But I love the micro moment mm. you had with this, this leader where he had not yet set his own goals. Right. Is that the first place people need to start self-reflection? personal inventory and to to determine what direction they're going i think you're spot on it's it's all change starts with organizational culture all personal change starts with our own heads and our hearts so if we ourselves can't assess where and how we are going to own what needs to be changed as a leader how can we expect our companies our stores our restaurants whatever we run to do the same so absolutely change starts at the top with self-reflection it doesn't mean that you open the kimono to everybody but if you're not intellectually honest with yourself with whom can you be honest Hmm. interesting is it your experience then that most companies that are struggling to get to the next level are just not perhaps being honest with themselves. That's usually what it boils down to is honesty. 
Honesty and trust. Absent those, it doesn't matter what else you've got going. You can have all the greatest mission and vision statements in the world that say integrity and honesty and trust, and people just snicker when they look at those because they realize it's just smoke and mirrors. It doesn't really mean anything. And so I would argue that you have to have that leadership team recognize their strengths. How are we going to maximize them? Recognize their weaknesses. How are we going to minimize those and constantly be looking at maximizing the strengths and minimizing the weaknesses? It sounds ridiculously simple, but all too many organizations fail miserably at those honest moments. Shifting the dialogue yeah. a little bit here, because um, I don't want to linger too much on on Disney, uh, especially because I'm going to be there in a couple of weeks. Uh, the kids don't know yet, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to be there and I'm going to have an overload of, of Disney. But in your experience now with other um, all of the other corporations that you've consulted, um, in context of where we are at in the automotive industry today, uh, well, let me back up. I was watching... I fell into the abyss of never ending suggested videos on YouTube. Mm. And I came across a, a Jim Carrey interview. <laughs> he was on, on real time with Bill Mayer. And okay. I'm, I don't really watch that show, but sure. I saw Jim Carrey and sure. I thought he's hilarious and yeah. go Canada and yeah. that sort of thing. And of course they were talking about the climate of politics in the United mm. States to which Jim Carrey responded with an analogy that politics in the United States is like, a used car salesman. <laughs> and, and we seem to perpetuate this message, this stigma that looms over the, the, the car industry of, um, oh man, you know, they're untrustworthy. They, you know, the sure. negotiation, I'm scared of them and, sure. and all these sorts of things. And that message kind of gets perpetuated out through mass media sure. and generations pass that down. Right. In your experience, because I, I know it can't just be the car business. Sure. Insurance salespeople for starters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if we're working internally, how do we also shift the, the message to the customer? Like, how does the customer base catch on to this? Do you know what I mean? Like, how, how do we start shifting their perception? Because, I mean, if we do it one dealer at a time, it's going to take 8,552 years. How do we, right. but does that matter? Should, should it, does it only matter that it's one dealer at a time shifting right. the perspective of the consumer? Every industry has jokes made about it. Attorneys, like you said, uh, uh, politicians, used car salespeople. Heck, I'm a motivational speaker. And how many jokes are there about, oh, you're just a motivational speaker? So my answer to your question is I don't really care about the rest of the industry. In fact, I actually will thrive in that industry because everybody else does such a poor job. My goal every time I take the stage as a quote-unquote motivational speaker is to actually be a change agent. The best attorneys that I work with want to turn around in the eyes of their clients that those the, the attorneys are all sharks. And the, the auto dealerships or the doctors or the politicians, if you stand out from your competitors as being technically competent and also having a heart that beats warm blood, you are already head and shoulders above the competition. So my question is, why would you not take advantage of the, the low threshold or the low bar over which you need to leap to stand out relative to your competition? So thrive in that environment. Don't, don't cogitate and worry about it. 
Yeah, if you're if you are the only one in a crowded room holding up a flag, then yes. all eyes are on you. Yes. In fact, I, I have another example for a, a different industry, but it's the fast food quick serve industry. And I was doing a program for oh, four or five hundred of one typical one brand. I won't mention the brand, but one of the owner operators got up with his wife and said, I want to congratulate all of the rest of the people from my city. And I've got about 15 competitors in this room. And he said, because you are such lousy leaders, you drive away all the good employees and they all come to me. Thank you all so very much. So, <laughs> He was taking advantage of the organizational culture that pervades that industry. And I would argue that if you're an auto dealership principal or an owner, it should be pretty easy to distance yourself from the competition. I love it. On that note, I want to thank you so much for your time today. I want to uh, give our listeners a chance to get some copies of your book. They're going to have to check out the show notes, www.thedealerplaybook.com forward slash episodes, where all of the information will be to get a copy of Doug's book. But if they wanted to just go out and purchase your book, where would they grab that? Well, like everybody else, you buy everything on Amazon these days, right? <laughs> but it is Dis- Disney U is available on Amazon and for my for my clients to, to know this and your clients to know this is my wife and I donate all of the proceeds, author proceeds of that book to an organization known as NAMI, N-A-M-I, National Alliance on Mental Illness. And the whole purpose for their existence is to help people with mental challenges and mental illness uh, deal with the stigma that often accompanies that. So definitely go check that out on Amazon. We're going to be giving away some copies of Disney U, Doug Lip's uh, book. Now, for those that want to get more context, that want to get more information, and to really, I guess, see a, a um, how they can implement this in their organization, mm. what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Well, oftentimes, uh, in fact, one of the most common questions I get at the end of a presentation or a workshop I do for clients is they'll say, well, this is great, Doug, but how do I take it home or how do I expose more of my employees to this? Because frankly, Doug, you're kind of expensive. (laughs) And I'll say you're right. And so my wife and I have created with the help of a a really talented team, an online training program that is uh, either self-led or it's facilitated by folks that we have worked with some former Disney folks as well who are master trainers and it's known as leadership magic and the the website for that is leadershipmagic.us and it's a series of 40 plus videos and I'm always in the studio creating new content it's a 100 plus page workbook that is a chock-a-block full of fun cartoons and and takeaways for clients of of every ilk to uh, assess the things that you and I've been talking about today. So great. I'm going to check that out for sure. If you're interested in any of that and bringing your organization to the next level, especially along the lines of what we've talked today about on the podcast, check out leadershipmagic.us. You will not be disappointed. Doug, thanks so much for joining me on the Dealer Playbook podcast. Michael, it's been a a real hoot. Thank you so much. (laughs) 